0: Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from. Enjoy the show. Today, with me, I have Frankie Aberland, the Executive Director of the Good Listening Project. Frankie, thank you for being here with me today.
1: My pleasure, Bonnie. Thank you for inviting me.
0: And I wanted to talk a little bit about this really unique space that you're in and what you see coming down the road or around the next corner. And specifically, I would like to get your perspective on what you see coming. How will empathy and listening and compassion, how will that shape the future of of healthcare? And what's going to be the impact of that?
1: Sure. Well, my organization, the Good Listening Project, is focused on fighting burnout in healthcare. That's our mission, is listening to cultivate resilience and well-being. In healthcare. And I think there's something really exciting in the past year that has changed in our work and in our field, which is coming out of the tragedy of the pandemic. And that is that people are more comfortable talking about mental health now. It's almost like popular. It's almost like Trendy to talk about and to be honest and open about our mental health, especially in healthcare. And when I meet new people and I tell them, Oh, I run an organization that helps fight burnout in healthcare, they say, Oh, that's so important right now. You know, oh boy, doctors and, and nurses, social workers are really probably very grateful for what you're doing right now. They really need it right now. And my response is always, yeah, that's true, but it's not new. Burnout has been a problem in healthcare for healthcare workers for a long time before the pandemic. And it's also true now, but it's just that people are talking about it now. And so that's really exciting, I think, is that people are talking about it, that hospitals who have long said, like, we care about the well-being of our staff now have a spotlight on it, and they have a pressure, and they have a, an expectation from beyond the hospital that they will be putting time and resources and effort into helping support the resilience and well-being of their staff, not just because it is good for their bottom line, to retain their talent, but because it's the right thing to do—to take care of, to recognize the emotional burden of the work uh, of of healthcare, and to recognize the need for self-care—not just as a responsibility of the individual healthcare worker, but as a responsibility of their employer—to create spaces to protect time and resources to make sure that their teams are taking care of themselves and are healthy to be able to support the health of the patients that they're serving.
0: So as you go into organizations, are you are you seeing more clinical people or or more staff people or physicians approach you and, and be willing to engage with your listener poets than you have in the past. Explain a little bit about how that works.
1: Mm-hmm. So our our primary service is our listener poets. And these are specially trained members of my team who have one-on-one conversations with people and then write poems for them about those conversations. So what the listener poet is doing is to create a space in which a person can talk, to uh, the person can share whatever's on their mind, what something that's happened to them or something they care about, something they've been thinking about. Uh, the person talks and the listener poet listens. And after the conversation, the listener poet writes a poem about what they discussed and sends it to that person. And it's, it's uh, our, our, our primary focus is on healthcare workers but we certainly do it for patients and, and caregivers. And honestly, it's important in any field. We're just a, a startup, so we are focusing on healthcare. And we're, we care deeply about healthcare. I used to work for a hospital, but I know that this is important. Whether you're a lawyer or a teacher or a freelance illustrator or whatever, good listening is important, and good listening leads to good health are more people willing to engage with us now it's hard to say i think that maybe different people are willing to engage with us now i think that there are nurses and doctors and social workers who are feeling the stresses of their work and, and feeling maybe a little bit more permission to find self-care tools so maybe you were when were before they might have Worried that it would look weak for them to take a break. Uh, They see that everyone around them, everyone in this country, everyone in this world is, is, is looking for and identifying coping skills and techniques to take care of ourselves. And people are saying, oh, I'm taking a mental health day. Oh, I need to go for a walk. Oh, I'm going to treat myself to an afternoon of doing nothing but reading and taking a bath. And then when that when that nurse or that doctor says, I need to do something for myself right now to recuperate from this difficult time, everyone else in that life says, right on. Hallelujah. Do it. Talk to a listener, poet. Of course. Of course.
0: So it's interesting that you talk about taking a mental health day. I clearly remember for many, many years that that was always kind of a Taking a mental health day in air quotes, which really meant you were going to go shopping or you were going to lay on the couch or you were going to do nothing, in which case, usually, others kind of said, Hmm, I want to do the same. And why is that okay? I hope that we've learned the lesson in a very difficult way here that taking a mental health day is extremely important to our ability to be empathetic and compassionate as. Caregivers or as healthcare workers, are you yes. getting any sense there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it, it I think it used to be a stigma. There used to be a stigma around saying I need to take them at the health day, and people would say, "Oh, I wonder if they're okay." Oh, they seem kind of weak. Maybe they're not. They don't have their shit together. They are not able to handle things right now, and that's changed. That that is a shift, and people say, "It is." natural to take a mental health day more than that it is self-preservation more than that it is a service to the people around you if you take care of yourself then you can show up well for your family you can show up well for your coworkers. you can show up well for the patients and uh, other people that you serve if you take care of yourself you are taking care of
0: others and I think you're right. You started by saying that you've seen a shift in that. And, and I think that's extremely positive, right? And and I guess I hope that this is something that sticks around after we work through sort of this tidal wave called a pandemic. And we have learned that it's important to give not only our colleagues permission to be more authentic about their feelings and thoughts and emotions um, also maybe for for patients right so I, I hope that this is sort of a lasting effect is that it is okay to talk about your feelings with your manager your leader and now let's figure out are there supports that we have that might assist you um, in some way shape or form so I think you highlighted something that's really important that we didn't used to give permission to.
1: Yeah, I mean that it really comes down to giving permission to that. The concept I think it's Google who talked about this. Of one of the one of the characteristics of really effective teams at Google was a sense of psychological safety. Do people feel permission? Do people feel psychological safety to um, express their own vulnerabilities and be supported? to uh, acknowledge that they need help or support or to take advantage of some resource and that they won't be punished for it, but they'll be, in fact, uh, encouraged.
0: Well, and, and you remind me way back when in um, nursing school myself, we learn a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And until we can feel sort of that, um safety in terms of that psychosocial safety, it's difficult to move beyond that and to give of ourselves to others. And certainly as clinicians, healthcare workers, you know, healthcare professionals, it's extremely to give if you yourself are an empty vessel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to give when you don't have much, yes, if you're an empty vessel. It's hard to give. It's hard to take care of other people. It's hard to show up the way you want to show up. And then you start to evaluate yourself. I'm not good at this. Or I have not, I'm making mistakes. Or I'm being a jerk. And you start to think, I am not doing it right. And maybe you don't have the awareness in that, in that moment that it's because you're tired or because you haven't eaten you haven't slept well or because you haven't processed something that happened to you you haven't talked about a thing that you're trying to deal with that that you need to um, relieve some emotional burden that you're carrying and so you're just bringing that along with you like an anchor and that affects how you interact with other people and how you're able to support the people you love and care about
0: so can you tell me a little bit about the process how does it work that i get you into my organization to um, give uh, my employees um, or patients the opportunity to to talk to a listener poet what does that look like
1: yeah well uh, hospitals hire us to talk with people in their community and it's typically staff and so the hospital will hire us to for um a number of sessions with listener poets and then they'll distribute codes actually. We give them sort of eight digit codes which their team members use to sign up on our website. And we have a unique sign up page for that for that institution. That'll be our website and then their name and they come, they find the time. So that that nurse is coming to this this website, they're looking at a set of available slots and they're choosing the best one for them when they sign up and they enter their code they get a calendar invite and the calendar invite has a zoom link and then they show up they they show up in that zoom link and the listener pod is there waiting for them and they have that conversation
0: now you mentioned that you were starting to get more into the patient space. It seems as though there really could be a very powerful link here with patients that maybe have some difficult or terminal diagnoses to be able to have a listener poet spend some time with them. And when you when you get that poem, it's just such a, a powerful way to see in it's validation of what the poet heard. Is that process different for patients?
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's the same for patients. So in terms of how we interact with the, the, hosp- the institution, that hospital is getting a set of codes and then distributing some of them to patients. Um, the patient would sign up and have a session with the listener poet. The conversations are, are really similar, r- regardless of who we talk with you never know what, the, what they're going to talk about. Some people will talk about going to the beach. Some people will talk about how much they love their granddaughter. Some people will talk about what it means to them to have a, a patient die that they've been working with for a year and not get invited to the funeral. And yes, I, I, I know what you mean about the sort of Ability to talk with the listener poet at the end of life or, or during a a particularly difficult time as a patient um, facing an uncertainty. We've been talking with some hospitals about working with palliative care programs and becoming a part of that care uh, offering for a palliative care program. I'm really excited about that. One of the conversations we're having right now around that there's, yeah, there's a lot of, opportunity and uh opportunity to make a difference there
0: yeah i i think back to um you know certainly i've gone through the hospice process with both of my parents and i think about what an amazing experience it would be to have a poem you know sort of emailed to you based on what you and your your listener poets sort of heard and processed and and you sort of cranked back out these poems and it's just such a really cool way to um to validate sort of what it is that you've heard and while this is really going to be a terrible comparison in my life as I've lost pets I get a paw stamp from my vet with their name and date on it and I have every one of those because it's so important just to have something so I think about how you know a hundred times more important it would be to have one of those really amazing poems. So that yeah. would be a neat thing.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's a terrible comparison at all. I think that's really meaningful, but yeah, just yesterday we had a conversation with a physician who started the conversation talking about her brother who had died of COVID just a few months prior. And She just talked about his life and her relationship with him. And, you know, at a certain point, she was crying, just remembering. And then um, afterwards, the poem was a reflection of that story. And just like many of the poems that our listener poets write, it's essentially sort of, this is what I heard you say, distilled in some way. And she wrote back what a beautiful reminder it was of him and how much it meant to her to just see that reflected back his, the story of his life.
0: Yeah, that's just such a neat space. So, so talk a little bit about the listener poets. Where, where do you find these amazing people? What are their skill sets? How do they kind of get into their Zen space and, and really help Listen. It's almost like a little mini therapy, not therapy sort of session that they're participating in. Where do you find these amazing people?
1: Yeah. So we have seven listener poets on the team right now, including me. Really, I don't do it so much anymore. Uh, there's a lot to do in it as the executive director of a nonprofit, of an organization like this, but uh, there are six others. The primary thing we look for when we're adding someone to our team is emotional intelligence. That is the number one thing we're hiring for emotional intelligence and of course, professionalism and reliability. But one of our team members has a master's degree in counseling. One ran a business for 30 years. We have less emphasis on the writing Oddly, than on the listening. But of course, these are, these are good poets. This is um, a skill of theirs. Writing and communicating is, is definitely a, a, a core skill for our team. In terms of where we find people, we, it's been sort of word of mouth and introductions of the people that have joined our team. It's clearly people who care about healthcare, people who care about healing and people who care about listening and empathy who understand the the importance of feeling heard and the transformative effect that it can have when we bring people onto our team they are are people who understand what we're doing but then also don't understand what we're doing because what we're doing is strange it's unusual it's an innovation that people have not seen before. And so we do a lot of, we put a lot of time into onboarding and training. And we do, we, we give them examples, we tell them stories, we try to explain the mechanics of it. But then we also do uh, ex- sort of sample sessions for them with friends of the organization that we can have them talk with and then write back to and then uh, get feedback from. So there's a lot that goes into getting someone into the position where they can provide this service as a listener poet, but our, our team is just a team of aces, and I'm really, really proud to be on it.
0: You know, as you describe sort of these individuals, it it brings me back a little bit in my career um, way back when we actually had a plethora of hospital-based chaplains that were around and on staff. And and in many regards functioned in that service of having conversations to support not only staff, you know, but of course patients, but they were just such a wealth of not only knowledge, but support and resources that nowadays, uh, many organizations don't have their own chaplaincy teams, but have learned to outsource that.
1: Yeah, our most common feedback that we get from people who participate with, uh, who have an interaction with a listener poet, is that it felt therapeutic, which I'm really proud of, because I, I agree, I think that, that it does, and that's part of our intention. But we are not therapists, and we're clear to, to say that we are not therapists. We have been compared a handful of times to that chaplaincy tradition that you mentioned. Once I, I talked to an old friend who had recently had a big health scare, and I was talking with her and I was saying, "Oh yes, I've started this organization, the Good Listening Project, and this is what we do." And she said, "Yeah, do you remember when I was in? I was hospitalized uh, last year." I said, "Oh, definitely. I, think I came and visited her." She said, "Yeah. What what you don't know is that I almost died." And I said, "Oh my gosh." And she said, "Yeah. When I was just about to almost die." my mother called for a chaplain and on my intake forms, when I'd been admitted to the hospital, they'd asked me, you know, what's your religious preference? You know, would you want to ever talk to like a priest or a rabbi or what? And she said, I chose priest because I grew up Catholic, but I'm not really Catholic now. And uh, honestly, I was a little uncomfortable when the priest came in because Obviously, I was almost, I was maybe going to die, but it didn't feel right. And she said, if on that list there had been an option for listener poet, I would have chosen that so quickly. And I was just floored like, wow, I think I know what you mean. But that is a real honor to hear you say that.
0: Yeah, it sort of puts into perspective how. Emotional and supportive, and really, what it gives people the opportunity to to share, to vent, to get off their chest, to codify. I mean, they're very important thoughts that get validated. So, the work that you guys are doing um, is really pretty amazing, uh, Frankie. I remember just a couple of years ago talking about this, and now here you are. It stood up, and it's doing mm-hmm. great. I am wondering if you happen to have a poem handy that you might be able to share with us.
1: Hmm, oh my gosh, that is a big question. I have a thousand poems handy. Okay, well, I'm going to just take a chance here. I've got one of these books within arm's reach that's uh, one of these collections we've done recently. Um, this is just a random choice, so maybe I'll reach out to you later with another one that's more appropriate, but this one I think is, is a nice one. When we present these, these poems, we present them with a little synopsis of the conversation, so I'll read that first. Because it gives a little context. Um, so the, this is what the listener poet, who, uh, who is Jenny Hegland, this is what listener poet wrote. I love finding the simplicity in life. In life, she said. She shared that she wished others could experience the joy she did, in finding life's simple pleasures, like in nature and in being able to really see into another's eyes. I love when you're sitting with someone you love, and all of a sudden you feel the stillness and quiet and you can just be in that moment together, she said. Her presence struck me as grounded and deeply connected to life. And so here's the poem. It's called Simple Fortune by Jenny Heglund. I love finding the simplicity in nature, woods, the song of birds and water of Chesapeake Bay. I love feeling the intimacy of being with someone I love When everything else goes quiet and presence drinks us in. I love spreading this fortune just like fairy dust and leaving a little sprinkle with everyone I touch. And that was a poem she wrote for somebody at the Char Cancer Institute last year.
0: Wow, that's really amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And Frankie, as always, it's been a pleasure today. Where can people find out more about The Good Listening Project?
1: Well, our website is goodlistening.org. But the real action is on our Instagram. Our Instagram is at thegoodlisteningproject. And you can find some really lovely poems and lines from poems. It's, It's quite a beautiful Instagram. We're very proud of it.
0: Awesome. That's incredible. And thanks again for your time today, Frank. You really appreciate that.
1: Thanks for having me, Bonnie.
0: Absolutely. And thanks for listening today. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics for guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health.